we are going we are continuing picking back up we took a little hiatus and uh, hopefully uh, our study in December was a blessing looking at love and peace and joy and hope and how those are all found alone in Christ and culminate in Christ and uh, had a great Christmas Eve service and uh, we're back to first Corinthians and um, you know tough stuff we're going to venture into some tough things here next week the joy of first Corinthians 7 and uh, then you talk talking about marriage and and uh, the the union there and just giftings and all this stuff but but this is where we are as a as a as a country as a nation where we find ourselves today this is very applicable you know just as a reminder the paul is writing to a very carnal church and this church had allowed the world to influence the church more so than the church was influencing the world in many rights many of the ways Many of the, the philosophies, many of the beliefs, many of the long-held things of that world, of that society in Corinth, had made their way into the church. And so Paul is, is exhorting that church to, to exist in a culture that, that penetrates the world and doesn't allow the world to penetrate the church. That, that's, the, that's really what, what Paul... How do we as a church impact the world without the, the world impacting us? We, we talked about being insulated versus isolated. We, we're not to just flee from the world. Paul, Paul says we'd have to go out of the world to do that. He says, no, I, I want you to be insulated from the world. I want you to be able to just go out into the cold without the cold getting into us. We, we, we had the brilliant idea to go camping uh, last Thursday. It was 38 degrees. There was nothing we could do. To, we did everything we could possibly do to get the cold out of us. It was coming in us. About midnight, my son, he slept over in another tent with some kids. He came over about 2 o'clock. I'm cold. Give me some more blankets. Hello, it's 38 degrees. You chose to leave the tent that had the heater and go to the tent that didn't have the heater. We learned, son. We learned. But, but the cold got in us. It was cold. It was cold. We, we, got, we got warm. We insulated ourselves as best we could. It was fun, but it was cold. But, but that's, what, that's what Paul wants the believers. He's writing to us. He's saying, look... You can't avoid going out in the world. But what you've got to try to avoid is the world getting into you. Go into the world and impact the world, but don't let the world get into you. And again, this is a, this is a carnal church. They, they were abusing lots and lots of things. They were, we, we saw uh, at the end of November when we were in 1 Corinthians 6, they were abusing one another. They were suing each other over everything. Paul says, it's already a loss, verse 7. Actually, it is already a defeat for you. They, they were abusing uh, their freedoms. Paul is going to start dealing with that here in, in chapter 6. He, he mentions this also in chapter 10, verse 23. He says almost the same things. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. They were abusing their freedoms. In chapters 12 through 14, we're going to see that they were abusing giftings. Again, they were showing, they were carnal. The world had affected them. And Paul, Paul makes a statement here that really, really undergirds so much of our walk as Christians. And, 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 and literally, we, we could spend weeks on this one statement in verse 12. But I, but I vowed to myself, this is a long book. I said, we'll not spend more than two weeks in any chapter. We, we could... We, literally, you could. this book is so thick, you could say, well, I joined in chapter 6. Well, I joined Idaho Odessa in chapter 7. We don't want to do that. 
We don't want to spend 10 years in 1 Corinthians. But, but this, this verse, if you think about chat, verse 12, it, it is so rich. And it's talking about our focus and Paul is recalibrating them. He, he's refocusing them. It literally, like sometimes you gently grab your child's face and you just put it right in front of your face and you talk to them. You want them, you got to get what I'm saying to you here. And if I could do that to each of you, this one statement right here in verse 12 will answer so many of life's questions. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The que- Can you do whatever you're doing to the glory of God? If yes... Proceed cautiously. If no, the answer is is there. And Paul says right here in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Literally, literally what he's saying, he's quoting a Corinthian slogan, and then he's correcting it. He's literally saying, the Corinthians say, all things are lawful for me, but Paul says, not all things are profitable. And, And right there you find the first the first fill-in for your, hand, for your handout. The gospel suffers harm when we distort our Christian freedoms by buying into worldly philosophies. The gospel suffers harm. Paul, Paul is recalibrating them. He's focusing them. We, we must understand that more is at stake in how we live than just our reputation. It, it matters more than just how you live and how that affects you and your family. Much more is at stake. The gospel is at stake. How we live as Christians, the gospel is at stake. And this life is not just about, this Christian life is just not about whether we can or can't do things. It goes way beyond that. The Christian life goes way beyond the ethics of it all. It goes way beyond. It it goes into motives. It goes into where your heart is, your focus. It, it, the, the Christian life and being a Christian transcends every action. Every action and even the motives for our actions. You could do the most godly act you could do. If you do it for the wrong reasons, sin. Sin. And, and the Corinthians, we, 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 again, we saw this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. He's saying it's not about, look, whether you win the lawsuit or lose the lawsuit, you've already lost. Why? Because brothers are suing one another. Sisters in Christ are suing other Christians. You've already lost. Why? Because the gospel has been hurt. And again, we'll see it later on. He, Paul continually takes it back to the gospel. And through faith, we have been joined to Christ. You need to understand that. What he's saying is, you've already been joined to someone. It's Christ. That union affects everything, and, and, and they misunderstood that. Both parties included. Not only you, but also Christ. How you live affects how people see Christ. Why? Because you're one flesh. When Karen and I, on June 28th of 2003, got married... Two people became one person in God's eyes. Any any good done to Karen is good done to Chris. Any harm done to Karen is harm done to Chris. Why? Because we're one flesh. We're one flesh. You can go all the way to Genesis 2.24 and you see that. The two shall become one. And Paul even quotes that here. 
So there's, there's, a, there's a union that's been formed between you, believer, and Jesus Christ that needs to be considered. And at the core, what the core of this problem is, is a theological issue. They were, they were not understanding, and you see it on your handout there, for number A, we are united with Christ, and this affects everything about our lives. That's the union they were misunderstanding, or abusing at best. There's a union there with Christ, and we are united, and that affects everything. You, you see throughout the Bible, for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who have been joined to Christ, there's a union. You know, when we were, we were cold, we wanted to become one with that sleeping bag. We couldn't get in that sleeping bag deep enough. There's a union. But, but at the core, is, is a the, theologically, we must understand that. There, there's, there's a union that has been formed. It's, it's not just Chris and Karen, and, and we'll travel along as long as things are good. No, it's Chris and Karen. This is the picture. It's not Chris and Christ. It's, it's Chris and Christ. We're one. And everything that I do affects that union. Just like if I go out and do something dumb, which is totally possible, it affects Karen. You don't think Karen and the kids would be humiliated? Absolutely. They wouldn't, well, that was Chris. He does his own thing. We're sa- no. Think about it as a Christian. I go out and do something dumb... That guy's a Christian. There's a union that's been formed. And, and Paul is saying it always comes back to theology. That our, most of our problems, it's, it's a theological issue. There, there's either an ignorance of the Bible, there's either a misunderstanding of the Bible, or there's an ignoring of the Bible. But it's a theological issue. It, it, we're, either, we're either misunderstanding or, or, not, or, or don't know or, or abusing either a truth that God has made about us individually, a truth that, that the Bible has put to us about God, or a truth maybe that what He's done for us. Maybe that's not what we're believing. Uh, maybe, is there, maybe there's a failure to believe what He will do for us, what He saved us for. But, but these are theological issues. That, that's why we, we, we continually go back to the Word of God. We need truth in us so that we can pick apart the lies. And so Paul, is, is what he's doing here is he, is he is correcting their thinking and their theology. He's reminding them. And, and not, only, not only does he correct the union uh, of, of between us and Christ, but he's also correcting a theology and a misunderstanding about what happens when you join yourself to another through a sexual relationship. And there, the, the B there is there is a uniting that occurs in sex that can affect everything about your lives. The theology, not only about God, but also about sex, is huge. It affects everything. It affects everything. And, and Paul confronts their theology here, not only about their union with Christ, but also their union with other people. And, and I, I, again, forgive me, I know there's some young, I'm going to try to be as clean as possible in dealing with this. I, I don't want you to go home and ask a hundred questions from your kids. But, but we live in a world, this is so applicable, we live in a world that this battle is constantly raging. I, I hear it all the time as a pastor. It's just sex. Let me tell you something. It's never, ever, 
ever just sex. That's a lie. And Paul deals with that here. You're joining yourself to somebody else. And that relationship was reserved for a man and a woman who were married. Period. Anything outside of that context. And I said a man and a woman who are married. That may be offensive. That may not be popular, but that's how God designed it. Okay, so we're going to stick to that. And, and I'll suffer the consequences for sticking to that. But it's a man and a woman, and he's correcting that. And, and the, the question, the battle is philosophical in nature. Who do you believe, God or the world? That same question is for us today. Who do you believe? Do you believe what the world puts out about sex, or do you believe what the Bible says about it? Do you believe what the world says about marriage, or do you believe what the Bible says about marriage? Do you believe what the world says about who can be married, or do you believe what the Bible says about who can be married? It, it's theology. Who do you believe? And, and Paul says, the Corinthians, the Corinthians motto, all things are lawful for me. That, that's the, that's the fill-in there. The world believes, and even today, all things are lawful. Well, think about that statement. All things are lawful for me. Where's the focus? Self. The focus is on self. And it's, and it's subtle. The Corinthian slogan isn't blatantly false. The reality is we have a ton of freedoms in Christ. It, generally, a lot of what they've said here is true. We have tremendous freedoms. But, but they're couched in a context. They're couched in a greater picture. Those freedoms are couched within the context of the gospel. Couched, what Paul is saying, in the context of you've been united with Christ. Now, can you, whatever you do reflects on Christ. Just like Chris. Do you have freedoms? Yes. Whatever you do reflects on Karen and Bradley and Sarah. Be cautious. Whatever you do, you're taking them with you. You're one flesh. The reality is we are free in Christ, but we're not free to ourselves. We have tremendous freedoms in Christ, but, but it, in the sense from the law, but we're not free to sin. The reality is, is what their misunderstanding is, and, and in 13, he says, food is for the stomach. They were freed from dietary rules. There was all kinds of those things. We're free, but it's not free to Chris. It's free to Christ. I have been set free to serve Christ, to love Christ, and to glorify Christ in a way that I was never capable of before. And you see that in Romans, it's, it's not on there, but I was thinking about it this morning. Romans 8, 9 says, um, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong in him. And, and he goes on later to say, oh, verse 8, sorry. Verse, uh, yeah, verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Do you see what I've been freed to do? I can now serve Christ. I have been freed to serve the greatest King of kings, Lord of all, the greatest master in all the world. I have the freedom now to serve Him, to be known by Him, to know Him, to have a relationship. That's where the freedom is. And it's a tremendous freedom. It's not free to go do whatever I want to do. Before I was in shackles. I had to sin. I didn't have any power not to sin. I have exchanged those to bind myself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what Paul is saying. You're united, but it's not to them. You're united to Christ. 
He says, so, so consider your freedoms in that context. And, and, and to dispute that, Paul says, hey, all things are, you say all things are lawful for me, but let me tell you the biblical approach. The biblical approach is not all things are profitable for me. You see, over here with the Corinthians, they're, they're, their focus is on self. But when Paul says not all things are profitable, who's he focused on there? The gospel. He looks at an action, he looks at an activity, he looks at a mindset, he looks at a philosophy, and he says, hey, does this line up with the gospel? Is this profitable for the gospel? The Christian is free from the Mosaic Law, from its 613 commandments, from all the dietary restrictions, the food handling restrictions, the washing your hands, the doing this, the doing that. We're free, but, but, but not in a moral sense. We're not free to do whatever we want to do. We, we still are under a set of rules. We still have a, a law, if you will, the law of Christ, Galatians says, that governs our behavior. It's a, it's a different standard. We've been united. And Paul says, we don't govern our behavior on whether we can or can't. We govern our behavior on whether we should or shouldn't. And the answer is, does it make much of the gospel? Does it reflect on my groom who is Jesus Christ well? That's how we think. And look, the result, the result of the worldly belief is this. You become a slave to your freedoms. Because look at what he says. I will not be, all things are lawful for me, in verse 12, but I will not be mastered by anything. Guess what the world, the world, they think, they, they think they're free, but they're actually mastered. That's the irony. They think they're free, but they're mastered. And, and they would say, you Christians are bound, but we're the most free of all. Because he says, I'll not be mastered by anything. And I've used this illustration before to, to make the point. Two men jump out of an airplane, one with a parachute, one without a parachute. Who's the most free? The, the world, a lot of times, and even our flesh would say, oh, the man without the parachute, he's free. He's unencumbered. Well, guess what? He ain't free. He's bound to this thing called gravity. And he's going to hit the ground going way too fast. And he's going to die. Meanwhile, the man with the parachute jumps out of the parachute. He pulls the ripcord, and he's just hanging out, just chilling, enjoying the scenery, just enjoys it. Though he's bound by a parachute, he's the most free of all. And the, 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 the lies of this world had clouded their perspective. And think for a second, Paul says... All things are lawful, but I'll not be mastered by anything. How do you know? How do you know whether you're mastered by something? I'll tell you right now, you can't stop doing it. You can't stop doing it. You say, Oh, I'm not mastered by that. Well, quit it. Well, I don't want to quit it. You're mastered by it. You're mastered by it. I'm studying this, and Karen says, Well, how does that apply to a sports center? I said, Hush. I took her to 1 Timothy 6. I took her to 1 Timothy 6 and said, women, just, woman, just hush. Don't, don't, you're meddling now, you're meddling. You're meddling. She asked me the other day, she said, do you want, do, she reads the newspaper, I read it, read it. She said, you want to read the sports page? I said, Karen, I just watched three sports centers. You think I don't know what's in that sport? You don't think I know what's in the sports page? 
I mean, it wasn't even three different ones. It was the same one. They didn't even change, they didn't even change announcers. But, but we're, we're mastered. We're mastered. And I'll be very honest with you. I, I used to not be able to get up without turning on SportsCenter to see what happened. I used to not be able to get up without checking, oh, what happened in all the sports? I wanted to know. You wanted to know a stat? Boy, I could tell you the score, who scored what, dot, dot, dot. I, I had to confess that I was mastered. And I had to lay it aside. Not a bad thing. But was that the best use of my time? It was not. Should I have been in the Word or doing other things? I should have. And, and we live in a world where we're mastered by a ton of things. We're mastered by them. But Satan has duped us. It's so subtle into thinking we're not. We're mastered. And, and in the context here where Paul is leading, the, the context is very applicable today. In the context here, this was a sexual sin. These were sexual sins that they were mastered by. And think about this. Think about the foolishness. For a, few, for a few moments of pleasure, we're willing to run the risk of throwing our entire lives away. Because why? Because we're mastered by it. We're mastered by it. We're slaves to it. Because we, we don't have victory over it. Because we we're not full of the Spirit and have self-control over it. I mean, think for a second. Potential consequences of sexual sin... Loss of fellowship with God. If we just stopped there, that would be devastating enough. If we just stopped there. Divorce, disease, pregnancy, guilt, estrangement from family and friends, psychological and financial loss, damage to one's reputation. I, I looked up, what, what are the effects of that? Those were the main effects listed for, for, for sexual sin. The consequences. We're so mastered and we're so, we're so, we're so just bound by it that we're willing to risk all of that for a few moments. And, and what Paul teaches us here in this context is there is no sin with brutal consequences like sexual sin. And that's what he's saying. Every other sin is outside the body, but the man who's immoral sins against his own body. You're literally uniting Christ with that prostitute, he says. And Paul doesn't argue. Notice, notice in 12 and 13, he doesn't argue with the Corinthians about their freedom. The, the argument comes from the focus. The argument comes from who you're living for, who you're trying to glorify, self or God. The, the argument comes, are you going to live your life according to an external set of external standards? Are you going to govern your life by internal attitudes? That's, that's your fill-in there. Are you going to live your life according to rules, external standards? Or are you going to govern your life by internal attitudes? That's the battle for us. Am I going to do things only because I can? Or am I going to go deeper with my walk and do things because I should? Or not do something because I shouldn't? Am I going to think of others more important than myself? Or am I only going to think of myself? That's the question. And again, this goes to everything. This goes to, this can be clothes, it can be shoes, it can be sports center, it can be sports in general, it can be playing sports, it can be watching sports, it could be all kinds of things. We're mastered. And again, you know how you know you're mastered? Because you can't stop. 
All kinds of freedoms can be plugged in here. The question is not can or can't I. The question is should I. The question does this bring glory to the gospel. And God has called us to be a people that recognize all things may be lawful, but they may be harmful not only to us, but to others. And when that's the case, in love, we voluntarily set them aside. Later on, you'll see in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, If meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Why? Because my walk with Christ is more important. And my love for one another, for the other brothers and sisters in Christ, is more important. And Paul had a greater love for his king than he did for his freedoms and for himself. And the great truth, the truth of Christianity that we have to show to the world is this, just what I said earlier. Our faith does not make us free to sin. Instead, it makes us free not to sin. We don't have to sin any longer. We don't have to give in. Greater is he who is in you, believer, than is in the world. 1 John, do not be afraid. Why? I've overcome the world. I don't... I have the greatest freedom of all. Why? Because I don't have to do what my body and my flesh tell me to do because the Holy Spirit living inside of me gives me the power to not do it. That's the greatest freedom of all. To not, I'm not even bound by my, to myself. The Holy Spirit in me gives me the power to not. Am I perfect? I am not. But I'm able. And the person is... The, the person who, uh, who is bound to their flesh and to this world is, is in bondage. And you know, how they, you know how they try to fool themselves? By showing off their freedoms. That's how the world acts. They want you to think they're free. Why? Because they're really not free. And so what do they do? They, they try to express it in ways that are complete rebellion against the Word of God. You can go to Romans 1 and see this. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, it says. Guess what? The genuinely free person, he doesn't have anything to prove. The person who's living for the Lord, he's got nothing to prove. Look at his life. He's got nothing to prove. That's what Paul is saying. I got, later on, he's going to say, I got nothing to prove to y'all. Over in 1 Corinthians 4, he said the same thing. He says, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet not only, I'm not only acquitted by this, but the one who examines me is the Lord. He said, hey, we're going to leave that up to the Lord. I don't live for you. I'm not, I'm not judged by you. I'm judged by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and I'm going to live for Him. And, and my cha the challenge, what Paul is saying for us in 12 and 13 is, live your life with the gospel in mind and make much of that gospel that has set you free. Here's, the, here's what he's saying, and I'll use this in marriage. Husband, if you make much of your wife and you sought to love Christ as Christ loved the church, would you not benefit from that? Wife, if you submitted to your husband and you loved him the way that God's called, would you, would, would, he, would you not benefit from that? Yes, you would. Why? Because you're one flesh. If I make much of Christ, i got two options. I can seek to make much of Chris all by myself, or I can seek to make much of the one who I'm in, and that's Jesus Christ. And if I make much of Jesus Christ, Chris gets made much of. Why? Because I'm in him. Those teams that played yesterday, they can make much of the New Orleans Saints, for instance, 
or they can try to make much of themselves. But guess what? If they try to make much of the New Orleans Saints and they belong to that team, they've been made much of. Why? Because they belong to that team. Two options. Live for the gospel. Seek to make much of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Don't live for the flesh. Don't live for this world. Understand that our actions impact the gospel. But not only that, we have to understand that the effects of our sin are far-reaching. The effects of our sin are far-reaching. And you see that in verses 13 through 20. And specific, specifically 14 and, and following. And this is where Paul delves into a specific issue that the Corinthians had, but we also have it in this world, and it, and it was sexual sin. And what Paul is saying is that sexual of sin offends the entire Trinity as well as it destroys your life. It offends the entire Trinity. He mentions the entire Trinity here. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It offends them all. Verses in 13 and 14, sexual sin offends the Father. That's what we see. Sexual sin offends God the Father. Look at 13 and 14. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Our bodies are designed for the Lord. We, we, we don't talk about my body. My body is God's body. It belongs to Him. And one day He will raise this body up. And what I do with this body, what I do for this body, how I treat this body matters greatly to God. Please know that. Please know that. Sexual sin offends God the Father because He owns my body. He owns me. Later on at the end, He says, You have been bought with a price. We belong to Him. What we do with our body offends Him or brings glory to Him. But 15 through 17, sexual offense, sin offends the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Three times Paul uses that phrase, do you not know? And what he means by that, he is putting forth the truth that they should have known. You see that phrase all over 1 Corinthians. These are things that they knew better. They knew better. Th these aren't new these are things they should have known. And, and three times in one verse, look at it, Paul mentions the word members. Members. What he's reminding you of is, look, the moment that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were grafted into His body. You're members. You are members of Christ. And, and for Paul, it is unthinkable to Paul that we would be sexually immoral for that reason only because you're a member of Christ he lives in you you take him wherever you go think about this a movie should can I go to that movie well would would Christ sit with you in that movie and watch it would Christ enjoy hearing his father's name blasphemed was he would he enjoy hearing his father's name taken for granted I doubt it 
It's not as easy as can I or can't I, should I, should I. But Paul also takes this further and he uses the word joins. The word joins here, literally it's the Greek word that was used for gluing. You take Chris and Karen and literally in God's eyes, we have been glued together. Glued. You have been glued, believer, to Christ. Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because we've been glued. We've been bound. And an immoral person, immoral man or woman, is literally gluing himself to a prostitute. That's what he's saying. You're gluing. You're taking Chris and Christ are glued together, and now you're gluing a prostitute to that. Do you see the tragedy? Do you see how devastated, why Paul would be so devastated and find it so in, uh, uh, offensive? And, and again, it's interesting in our culture, it's interesting in our culture, today, we, we think we're so advanced and this and that, but what Paul is saying was countercultural then, and it's countercultural now, in, in the sense of using glue for, for a relationship, a sexual relationship. The world would want us to believe it's just physical. Nothing, nothing's happening. There's no harm. It's not a big deal. It's just, it's never just. That's what the Bible is telling you. It's never just sex. The world would want us to believe that, that you can just be casual with that and, and just move on. Trust me, that what the Bible teaches is you leave a part of who you are with that person. You're losing a part of who you are with that person. It's not, there's nothing casual about this. Paul is saying it is impossible to have a physical only sexual relationship. There, there, is, there is no such thing as casual sex. It's intimate. It, it affects the whole person. That act, was, that's why that was reserved for a married man and a married woman, because there is far more to it than what meets the eye. It is deep. And, and it, is a, it, it, it's, it can be troublesome when that's treated casually. It, it's intimate. If you dig down deep into this and into the Bible, literally, literally things are communicated through the act itself. There is communication that happens in that act. Genesis 2.24, God says the two will become one flesh, or literally one personality there. We, we can't dismiss this as inconsequential or irrelevant. We, we, my body is God's body. And when I glue myself to somebody that is not my spouse, I'm gluing Christ and His body to something that He has forbidden. That's why He says, flee it. He doesn't use that strong language for, any, for much other, other than sexual immorality. He says, flee it. Literally look like Joseph and get out of Dodge with Potiphar's wife. Pull, put your stuff together. I don't care how embarrassing it makes you, how humiliated it makes you look, what relationship, what reputation. Get out of Dodge. Why? Because the consequences are enormous. You fool around, even flirt around, emotionally something happens, and it is consequential. 
And, and again, it's, the world would, would want us to believe that, oh, it's inconsequential. It's, just, it's not. And when we join ourselves or to something or to some, someone as believers, we join Christ as well. You gotta, we've got to hear that. When we join with others, we are joining with Christ as well. And again, we, we've talked about it with marriage. That's the picture. Chris Basham, in a real theological sense, ceased to exist June 28, 2013. For the rest of my life, it's Chris and Karen. I ceased to exist. I joined. The two became one. You take all these individual particles and you bring them together under a recipe to form a Coke. Guess what? I'm not drinking all these things. I'm drinking a Coke. And you don't see Chris anymore. You see Chris and Karen. When I, when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior in high school, Chris Basham died. There's a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, new creation. Everything I did had to be about Christ from that point on. Have I been perfect? Failed miserably. As we were singing that song, I was just thinking about that. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that covers all my sin. That's a lot of grace. A lot of grace. And the implications here, think with this. Paul is talking specifically about sex, but think with me about the implications here. The, ap the interpretation is one, the application is many. Think about this. Business deals. Over in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he's going to say, do not be yoked with unbelievers. You're going to be bound, and he's talking, about, he's talking about more. Business deals, tattoos, what we wear. And again, I got nothing against these. Don't hear me. Don't hear me saying what you wear. Don't, I don't have a problem with them, but you've got to answer the personal question, why? You doing them for self or for God? What you wear, how you act. What about your speech? What does it say? What about where you go? What about what you watch when nobody's around? When you're on business trips just by yourself in that hotel by yourself? What do you watch? It's not inconsequential. What you wear is not inconsequential. How you carry yourself as a believer, not inconsequential. What you read in your free time, oh, it's just a romance novel. Trust me, it ain't just a romance novel. Satan wants to get his prongs in you. It's not inconsequential. Nothing about my life and my walk with Christ and my pursuit of Him is inconsequential. Grave effects. John 10, the enemy seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly. It's never inconsequential. Our salvation, here's, and this is the point I'm making, our salvation affects everything about my life. My salvation affects everything about my life. And again, I, I, I made that list there. Those are questions. Those are basically based on questions that I've had people call and ask me. Business deals and all these other things. I can't answer those for you. You've got to answer those. The number one question I'm going to give you when you call me about those, hear me. The first question I'm going to ask you is, why are you doing it? Why? If you can get past the why, 
We can have, we can have, we can talk more. Most of the time when I ask that question, you know what the second word, you know what the first word is? I. I. You're doing it for self. Be careful. We're, we're in Christ. What we do affects Christ. That's the point. What we do, He now does with us. We reflect Him in everything. Is, is what you're doing profitable for Christ and the gospel? That's what matters. Not, not how it makes us feel or fit in or makes us cool or whatever else. Does it glorify Jesus Christ? And, and Paul uses, just in case you're wondering, Paul uses a very, very broad term here in the Greek, pornea. It's referring to all sexual sin. Very, very broad word. There's another word for, for, for adultery, and that's moikia, very a narrower word. It's a very broad word he uses here. Just in case someone's thinking about, you know, slipping out the back door or this crevice or that crevice, very, very broad term here. And according to the Word of God, any, anything outside the bounds of marriage is forbidden. Just hear me say that. Anything outside of the bounds of marriage, any sex outside of the bounds of marriage, you young boys and girls or men and women here are single, anything. Doesn't matter if you were married and you're not married now and you've already had sex, so I'm just no anything outside of the bounds of marriage, sin. Sin. Look, look at look at 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Paul is uh, helping us, and we've mentioned it, but there is something uniquely devastating about this particular sin that Paul is dealing with here. Sexual sin, sexual morality, there is something uniquely devastating about that. And, and, and again, the first command of this passage, the very first command you see is in verse 18. Flee. Flee. It's a present imperative in the Greek, and some of you are thinking, who cares? Let me tell you why it cares. Literally in the Greek, you know what that's saying? Keep on fleeing. Never, ever, ever, ever stop fleeing. Every moment of every day, continually flee. Literally, literally what it could say is, make it your habit to flee. Be a flea. It's not, this is not what he's saying is, this isn't a sin that we test and then back off from. This is like the edge of the Grand Canyon. It's not, man, that's deep down there. I can tell you it's deep from way back here. I don't need to go to the edge. And Paul is saying, don't go to, why? I guarantee you men, especially you men, you test it, you're going to like it, it's going to put its prongs in you, and you're going to be captive. It's going to be captive. I'm just telling you. We, we, we have to trust that God knows best here, and He says, flee it. Flee it. If we go there, if we go here, sexual morality leaves mental and emotional scars that may never, ever entirely disappear. Even though they can be healed, the scars will still be there. Some of you may be sitting in here right now thinking of things you've done that you're still battling with. The effects are huge. And the Bible's advice is, is, is this. Get as far away as possible. You don't put your toe in it. 
Don't test it. Don't think I'm just going to dip my finger into it. He says, flee. And here's the reality. I will never, ever, ever fall into the Grand Canyon from Tampa, Florida. Good news. I know that's very theological and that's very insightful. That was the best I could come up with. But what I'm telling you is this. I ain't falling in from Tampa. Just flee. Get away. Stay as far as possible. Oh, and, and here, never, ever, 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 ever stop staying away. That's what he's saying. But not only does sexual sin offend the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son, sexual sin offends the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 18 through 20. We read verse 18, flee it. For every, for every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Three truths here, three huge truths here. Number one, we are the temple of God. The word used here for temple is naos, N-A-O-S. It's the same word, same, same word that was used in the Old Testament for the Holy of Holies. That was where God was. Nobody, nobody just wandered in there. You literally are the Holy of Holies. That's what Paul is trying to say. You, you personally believer, you are where God resides in that sense. God resides in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and oftentimes we're so, we're so careful about what we say, how our kids, no running in church. Don't say that in church. Don't, guess what? You are the church. I am the church. You come in here, I mean, you could, you know, some of us would care more if somebody, somebody defamed these walls, but we defame our own lives. We are the church. Don't care about this building more than you care about your body and your life. Why? Because you are the church. You, you wouldn't watch, you, you say, oh, I've never watched that in church. Well, why would you watch that at home? You're the church. I would never do that in church, but you do it in public? Or, or you do it in your own home, but you're the church. I'm the church. You know the little thing, this is the church, here's the steeple, open it up, see all the people, that's wrong. Open it up and see the church. We're the church. And if the body, if my body is a house for the Holy Spirit, it should only be used for the very, very, very best purposes. You hear me? The best purposes. Don't allow anything to spoil, to spoil it, don't misuse it. Keep it in good condition. You know, to, to not take care of our bodies, that's a sin against the body. This is our body. God's gave it to us. We ought to take care of it. Treat it well. Exercise. Do some things. Eat right. Be healthy. To glor it, it's to glorify God. To bring Him honor. Not only are we the temple, God gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift. It is a gift. The Holy Spirit is called our paraclete, our counselor, our helper. We don't have to be in bondage to sin because we have the power of the Spirit of God within us to supernaturally help us resist it. That's what he's saying. Greater power is in you than is in the world. It is, it is possible to, have a, to lead a pure life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. 
It's now possible. We can flee sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We can abstain from, from, from fleshly lusts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We have the power to turn it off. We have the power to run away. We have the power to stop. We're not our own. Thirdly, we're not our own. That's the third truth. We're not our own. Or do you not know that your body is a temple for that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, the result, therefore glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Chris is not his own. You take that all the way back, full circle, verse 12. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. If you, some of you in here own businesses, the answer to your question is not, well, can we do that? We can, but you want to know what? Is it profitable? How does it affect the bottom line? Someone comes to Chad and say, hey, we should put this on the menu. We can, but Chad wants to know, is it going to make me any money? And guess what? If it's not profitable, why would, why would we live our lives any differently? I, am I not more precious than, than a menu? I'm more precious than a couple bucks. He says, we don't, we don't, you're not your own. We, we, don't, we don't live according to those things. And again, this is not drudgery. Hear me, it's not drudgery. It's a, it's a grateful attitude for what God has done. That's our response. I keep using the word overflow. I live this way out of the overflow of joy of what God has done. He took me as a nobody. And he made me somebody. Why? By living inside of me. He took me a name that nobody knew. And he gave me the name above all names. He took me and I was destined to live a life of separation. Eternally separated from him. And he not only gave me an inheritance. But he took ownership of me and adopted me. And took possession of me. And cares for me. We, we live a life of gratitude because of that. We don't say, man, i got to do all this. No, it's like, wow. He loves me. He takes notice of me. And the challenge for each of us as we close is to be an accurate picture of the gospel. Seek to be an accurate picture of the gospel. Show off a satisfaction to the world that you have in Christ and the things that you have in Christ. I pray that we'd be satisfied in that. And as we walk away from here, from the application, the natural question becomes this. What, what if I've messed up? What if I've fallen? What if I've failed? You know, I, I, I think about it daily. The Holy Spirit will, will bring to mind things that, I, that I, I've, I've done in the past and people I offended. And I think, man... If they walked through that door right now, have I made it? Did I, did I make it right with them? Did I make it right? What do I do? The question is, if I failed, what do I do? Because, because again, when when when, the, either, uh, forgive me if because of my tone, if I degraded, if if I if I if I seem a angry, I, I'm I'm passionate more than anything, and I want us to to understand what we have in Christ. But, but these kind of things can bring up all kinds of memories, can bring up hurts, can bring up guilt. If, if you're here today and you're a young man and you're a woman and, and you've, you've fallen and, and you're not married and you've fallen and, 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 and you've done things that you shouldn't done, if you've been intimate, married person, if you've gone outside the bounds, let, let me give you a couple suggestions here.
couple suggestions to walk out of here and to deal. If you've been living a fantasy life through soap operas or through the internet or whatever it is, let me, let me, let me encourage you. I want, I want to understand that God's grace is greater than your sin. And let me give you a couple of, couple of things. Number one, confess the sin. Confess it. God is able to forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Next, I would say, purpose in your life to not let it happen again. Flee it. Flee it. If it's a channel at home that's giving you struggles, get rid of it. If it's something on the computer, covenant eyes, there's all kinds of other means to block it. If it's a relationship at work, I don't care if it means quitting your job. Get out of there. Get out of there. Purpose in your heart to not do it again, to quit now. Don't fall in the trap of saying, well, I'm already headlong into it. What's one more? It's worse. Trust me, it's worse. It can get worse. It will get worse. Purpose to stop. If, if, if not guilty yourself, maybe you know somebody, hey, be willing to forgive. Offer forgiveness. Maybe you've been victimized by this. Maybe your loved one has, has strayed. Be willing to forgive. Be willing to forgive. Because here's, as I read this word, here's what I realize. My sin debt to God will never, my sin debt to you will never amount, or your sin debt to me will never amount to my sin debt to God, and He was willing to forgive me. He didn't deserve, he, I didn't deserve it. I didn't warrant it. I, I've abused it at times. I've stepped on it. I've trampled it. I've adulterated. I've done all those things. And guess what he does? He says, come unto me. I'll, I'll, he'll, he'll forgive it. I, I'm not saying be casual with your sin. I'm saying God will forgive. Therefore, what's my response? Forgive. Forgive. We've got to be a forgiving people. You say, you don't understand, Pastor. My wife did this. My husband did this. My, my husband died. I, I don't need to understand. Because you know what I do understand? A little bit of is my sin debt to God was huge and He forgave me. And you know what He said? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So be, so be, be forgiving. And just practically a couple things. What, be careful how you watch television and movies. You, you should never walk out of a movie and say, I can't believe how bad that was. There's this thing called the internet. It's new. And there's some things on there that you can look up a movie and it will tell you exactly how many times it says every single word. It'll tell you that. It's amazing. You shouldn't walk into a movie and be surprised. And don't think just because it says PG-13, I'm over 13 so I can go watch it. The world don't care about you as a believer. The world's standard of PG-13 doesn't measure up with the word. Be selective. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful how you watch TV. I mean, what the world allows to come through that tube is getting more and more grotesque. Be careful. Monitor your internet use. There are tons of ways to do this. You can have accountability partners. I'm accountability partners with some people. There are ways to monitor it. There are ways to check it. And lastly, find an account. If you're struggling, 
I'm going to tell you something. You need to let somebody know. The greatest way to get over it is to let somebody know. It starts with confessing it. You're not going to deal with it right if you keep it a secret. Satan's going to whoop you. You get some brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of you and walk with you. I, I promise you. It may be embarrassing for a few minutes to admit it, but there is power. That's why we meet like this. To come alongside one another. Do not forsake, Hebrews says, the assembly together to what? Encourage one another. Stay at it. Don't walk out of here defeated. Walk out of here encouraged. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. 